I know you. You are afraid to speak up. You are scared of what other people think of you. And you blame yourself for what happened to you. I know how it feels because I've been there. If you found me, I'm so grateful you are here. This podcast will give you hope. And I'm your host, Anna Maidanova. And I'm going to hold your hand and provide the guidance. It's time for you to find your why and turn your experience into your biggest power. This is your time now. So lock your door, put your headphones in and enjoy. Christina Lee Pratt, welcome to the world's best trauma recovery podcast. (laughs) Thank you, Anna. I'm really happy to be here. Christina, you are a healer. You are an author and a teacher of exceptional clarity, humor, and practicality. You are doing an amazing job. And when I heard about you for the first time, I really connected with you. And I just want to tell my listeners that you also opened the last mask center for shamanic healing in New York in 1990, <laughs> where you are uh, pioneering new shamanic techniques to deal with complex trauma, the healing of our ancestral lines, and the initiation of our young into spiritual adulthood, which is great. And you also wrote uh, a two-volume set uh, of the book, an encyclopedia of shamanism. And you are also a presenter at many shamanic summits. Wow. Wow. What a journey. (laughs) Christina, how did you get into this? Well, I don't have a special, oh, I had an indigenous grandmother story or anything like that at all. I'm just a typical, very, very typical white middle-class American who um, started- Very humble, very (laughs) humbled. (laughs) Who just started experiencing- um, stress-related illness very early. And, and this isn't a story of that illnesses created this. What the illness made me start doing is questioning my own culture. There was no reason for me, given my privilege, my entitlement, my access to healthcare, my access to good food my whole life, my, you know, every way that I was supported for me to be depressed since I was 12. No reason at all for that, uh, outwardly. And so I started really questioning, not myself, like what's wrong with me, but I, for whatever reason, started questioning my culture. And one thing led to another, and I was in a therapy session, and the person asked me, after I had been ranting for about 30 minutes about this incredible brokenhearted situation I was in, because the man who was literally the man of my dreams, I mean, I felt pretty lucky to have met him. Uh, but he was a really destructive, this is, this is a bit dated, right? He was freebasing. I realize there are people listening to your podcast that probably don't even know what that means, <laughs> but basically was a serious cocaine addict in, in a really um, pretty dangerous way at the time. Not that it's ever not dangerous, but anyway, my point is I was, my life was a mess. It was a train wreck. And I'm going on and on about my problems. And his response to me is, Christina, where's your bliss? And I am telling you, part of me wanted to launch out of my body across the room, grab him by the throat and rip it out. Like, how dare you? And I'm like spilling my guts about how you know painful this all is. And you're asking me where my bliss is. There's clearly no bliss here. I was so angry and whatever happened, because of course I didn't launch across the room and grab, rip his neck out. But What that act was, that act was like this arrow that went into my heart, which I tried to ignore and ignore and ignore. But man, when I woke up in the morning, I asked myself, what would you do today if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? And I realized nothing that was on the plan for that day or that week or that month. Like there was nothing I was doing that I would still be doing if I knew I was going to die the next day. And I thought, this is a problem. This is, and I I was 20, right? I'm doing this at, you know, 
20. And so I started looking for my own answers. That's really how I got myself into this is I just stopped listening to the noise of my culture, trying to tell me who I was because I ended up sick and depressed when I listened to that. And instead I started trying to answer that question. Where is my bliss? When do I last remember feeling something I would call bliss? What the hell is bliss? Right. And I realize this is a much overused now Joseph Campbell phrase, but the point is this person and bless his heart, this person didn't listen to my drama, didn't listen to my trauma, didn't listen to anything. He just asked the question I needed to be asked at that moment. And I was like a dog on a bone, man. I could not let go of that when I realized I had absolutely no good answer for that and no reason to not have a good answer because, you know, I, I lived really a pretty good life up until that realizing what does that really mean and started questioning that. So anyway, fast forward, I end up making some really drastic decisions and I'm in Manhattan uh, later in my twenties and I've gone back to dancing, which is an extremely stupid thing to do in your latter twenties because you're already an old lady for the profession in your latter twenties. And I didn't have an experience of 20 years of dancing. So this is a really long, making a long story even longer than it needs to be. But basically in the process of going back to what was the last place I had experienced bliss. I'm going to share this little part of the story I don't normally share. um, Because I think people that have experienced um, really serious physical and emotional trauma often have peak altered state experiences that get um, pathologized. So there's some peak altered state experiences in this story that I usually leave out because people pathologize me for them. So I just wanna acknowledge that uh, problem with what I consider contemporary culture's understanding of what's really going on for human beings in their lives. So anyway, my point is the last place I had felt bliss was as a child dancing, Um, I I had danced my whole life um, in a small town. So it's not as fancy as it sounds. Anyway, I danced my whole life. I was performing, we were performing to Bach, which was incredible music. And it was one of the rare moments I was dancing really incredible choreography. And the audience was right there for us. The lights, the music, the choreography. I was dancing with people I danced with my whole life. It was this amazing moment and bam, in stage, right in the middle of the choreography, I go into uh, an altered state, uh, an absolute ecstatic, peak ecstatic state in the middle of performing on stage, right? Eight counts later, and I know this because of the music, Mm -hmm. I am downstage where I need to be doing the right thing, but I have not participated in the process of getting there in my conscious awareness. I've been in this peak ecstatic altered state, one with all things. So that was my scale for bliss that I was looking for later in life. (laughs) This has happened when I was a teenager, right? Here I am in my twenties, trying to get back to this really peak altered state with no education around spirit or altered states, right? I didn't realize it was a peak state. It was just an experience I had had. I tried to share it with people. Everybody looked at me like I was crazy. So I shut up and never told anybody. And that's what I was looking for. So, you know, I had a pretty high bar that I was reaching for and didn't know it. So I had gone back to New York to go back to dancing because that was me trying to find my bliss. And it was, I was poor. I was living below the poverty line. I was trying to dance. I'm not that good, right? And especially at that age, I mean, it was really, everything was stacked against me. And I actually got a job with the one choreographer on the planet I wanted to dance with. So I had this peak experience of doing this premiere show in New York with this choreographer, this amazing company, this incredible piece of work. And then bam, it was over. And I crashed into that depression, like just that from that height of everything I ever imagined, that was the thing I crashed deep into my very familiar depression, but deeper than I'd ever been in before. And I had this very Taoistic thought about it because I've been researching um, 
and studying Taoist practices. I mean, I mean frankly, I was in my 20s, frankly, for sex, <laughs> honestly, to be. Anyway, so I have these, this idea of Taoism in my mind, which I didn't really understand very well yet at that time, but it made me ask this very paradoxical question which was, I was, my depression always felt like being underwater mm -hmm. and, and being, you know, deeper and deeper and darker and darker as if anybody scuba dives, you know, as you get down deeper, pretty quickly, it gets very dark and, mm -hmm. and the pressure of the water, it's kind of scary. And so I felt myself just going down and down and down. And, and I'd always clawed my way up out of the depression. I always felt like it was, you know, just like, like a swimmer, right? You try to go for the air and I was so crushed and, and this like weird little yin yang sign just came into my mind. And I just had this thought, what if I went down instead of up and mm -hmm. bam, all the way to the bottom, but I didn't, I just broke out of my conscious state and I was in an altered state and I was in a spontaneous experience of being in an altered state for three days in Manhattan. <laughs> so, the whole thing is so insane. Anyway, so as I came out of that experience, which was, which I participated in as a test, not, not being, um, not being a religious person and not seeing life through this battle of the good and good and evil. I don't see the world that way. I wasn't trained to see the, I don't think kids naturally see the world that way. And then I didn't get trained to see the world that way. So the blessing of that moment was that that wasn't how I perceived what was going on. I simply perceived it as a test and a response to this question I had had, which is why am I here? Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand yet that you need to qualify your questions and be very specific when you're trying to communicate with the big, all that is. And so why am I here? I, I meant, why am I here at this audition? Why am I here in New York? Like I meant it like, in the context that I could see myself in, why am I here? I didn't understand that's not how you work with spirit yet because I didn't have any education. So I just was like, why am I here? Why am I here? You know, constantly. So I go into this altered state. I'm in it for three days. And I really felt like that whole experience gave me the answer to that question. Because as I came out of that experience and was like, wow, like, no one to talk to about it, no one to put it into context, no way to understand what the hell had just happened. All I knew it was probably the most important thing that would ever happen to me in my whole lifetime. And it had changed everything. That's all I knew. No one to, you know, no elders, no any like, and I'm in Manhattan. I mean, the whole thing was really crazy. But what came after that in, in a period of time of clarity after that, well, periodically clarity and then aftershocks. So there'd be clarity and confusion and clarity and confusion. But in those moments of clarity, I saw the next steps. And for me, the next, the most direct next step, the clearest answer for why am I here was this process called soul retrieval. What does it mean? Yeah. It's, so it's a really old, it's one of the earliest shared ways of healing. So many, many cultures all over the world do their version of a process called soul retrieval, which is fundamentally based on the idea that when we experience trauma and they include in that shock, like to be shocked or overwhelmed is another mm -hmm. kind of trauma. I mean, we have a very um, contemporary contextualized version of what trauma means today, but just to be completely shocked and overwhelmed and unable to process the moment for accidental reasons is also considered trauma that, that the person can respond to that by fragmenting. And what that creates in the person that everyone is responding to who's here in real time is a feeling of, I've never been the same since. I've never been the same since that event because we did lose a part of ourselves. So soul retrieval, uh, soul loss and soul retrieval, which is the, the, it's just accepting the fact that at high levels of trauma and abuse, this is what people do. It, 
it, it, it, and it just accepts that that's what happens. And so since it does happen, somebody needs to go find those parts of the self and bring it back. And that's a fundamental healing process in indigenous cultures. And there are many different means by which people do it, but that's what they're doing. And so not only did I learn to do that because it was the clearest answer of why are you here? Um, but I also researched it around the world. Like what are all of the, just discovering how all of these peoples from all over all the land masses all over the world had ways of doing this and, and practitioners who became skilled at this act of discovery. It's like tracking and finding it, the negotiation, which is different in different cultural contexts, but there's a negotiation that convinces that lost self to come back. And then the actual act of grasping that self, which obviously has to be happening in an altered state because they're not in the physical world anymore. And then bringing them back and restoring them to the person's body where they belong here in the physical world. And so these practitioners in these different cultures are all practitioners that understand there's a relationship between the physical world and the invisible world, whatever you want to call that. And that it, it they, and that people can learn to use the, that relationship in a constructive way. I mean, they can also learn to use it in a destructive way, but, um, the point, the long version of answering your question is, this was really the best answer my life gave me as to why I'm here. And so I just pursued the steps to learn to do it without really thinking about, I felt it was the truth. So I didn't worry about where the source of the truth was coming from, whether or not I liked that truth, because I didn't. I mean, I liked having an answer, but I didn't like the answer. And I I didn't want to think about the ramifications on my life. And that's the challenge with the truth is often knowing the truth changes everything. So anyway, here we are. <laughs> so, Thanks so much. So, that's a beautiful yeah. answer. Thanks, Christina. Uh, you know what, what I believe? Unfortunately or fortunately, but our close relatives, close friends, and our, our loved ones are the biggest teachers in our life. Mm -hmm. And they've given us to, to learn this lesson and to find our passion. And it's like your ex-boyfriend, uh, through these challenges, through, through this traumatic experience, you found your passion. You mm -hmm. found your why. It was the, like a universe or God or any higher power was leading you to this point. And I feel the same towards my stepfather. And in some sort of capacity, I'm grateful that he, he helped me. Uh, he created, he helped me to create myself who I am right now. And I know it's very, very interesting and deep topic, but I'm just wondering, how does the soul loss feel? feel? Mm -hmm. How do you know that you lost it yeah. after yeah. experiencing your trauma or abuse? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so from this perspective, um, and to answer this question in a really juicy way, part of it is accepting the idea that we have a physical body and that physical body, when it's alive and has, you know, inhabited by a soul, creates also an energy body. And so, so while we may not notice the loss physically, because the person is still here, there's no bruise, there's no cut, you know, there's no physical trauma to validate the experience, let's say. But in the energy body, it blows a hole out of the energy body when the soul leaves. Because And in this idea of the energy body, let's just visualize the soul as being this luminous energy that, that um, radiates who we are from the inside out. You know, it's at our core. Our soul is here. It is our light. It is our resonance. It is who we are. And so when a piece of that energy splits off, which is a survival tactic, our light is dimmed. On one hand, people will may notice our, a difference in us in, in, in the 
um, in the old days, in the ancient times when cultures themselves were more coherent, they had very strict um, cultural parameters about how those relations you were talking about that help us to learn how we are to treat each other, zero tolerance for certain things that are systemized today, like incest, right? I mean, zero tolerance for things like that. So people are in a different culture, a different quality of culture, let's say. And so um, where was I going with that? So when they lost a part of themselves, people noticed was my point in that, because they could see the diminishment of that bright soul that they were already paying attention to and in relationship with. They would see that diminishment and notice. And so the culture would say, you need to be restored. Let's, let's mobilize around making that happen for you. Whereas for us in our contemporary time, we lack, most of us lack a healthy culture around us and a healthy family system. It's usually at least dysfunctional, if not abusive. And, and so consequently, we're an individual struggling in that. And so we may lose smaller parts of ourselves to cope with different situations, which gives us time to adapt. This is, sorry, this is a little bit of a long version of this answer, but this is important to understand because then collectively over time, we can have a huge amount of soul loss that in the past would have actually caused us to waste away. But because we had time to adapt to the smaller parts leaving over time, we normalize living in a state of soul loss. And so this is really where I see your question coming in is, is what does it feel like to live in a state of soul loss? feels like well, normal. At the, at yeah, the... it's completely normalized. It's like, oh, remember we moved and you started failing in school. Ha, ha, ha. Like, like, like all of the soul loss becomes these family jokes about when different members of the family started failing around something they used to be good at or they suddenly dropped this thing they loved. You know, so that so there's these stories from our childhood, but in present time, what it feels like for many people, you may not feel it. Some people feel it. People have different sensibilities mm -hmm. and sensations, right? So basically what soul loss creates is a leaky bucket. You're just a leaky bucket. So some people feel this constant drain of energy and they Name it different ways, like, oh, I'm just too empathic, I'm too sensitive, I'm too this. But really, it's you just got too many holes. You're really porous and thus not able to really maintain the quality of boundaries that we would consider healthy boundaries. And so there's so for some people that can result in chronic, chronic illnesses because there's a chronic energy drain. For other people, they have a, a vitality that compensates for that, but they experience it more in their mental wellness or their emotional wellness. And so the whole can create a loss of energy, but most of us are intuitively smart enough to try to fill that hole and protect that hole. So protecting that hole can be issues in relationship about really allowing intimacy or really being willing to commit to those people that are intimate. So it can be relationship, struggles that keep repeating themselves in different relationships. So different people, a lot of work with your therapist, same pattern gets reestablished because it's, it's, it's not coming out of your psychology. It's coming out of your intuitive need to protect this hole in your core. And then the harder thing I think for us to realize is a lot of our addictive behavior comes out of our endeavor to try to replace the energy that we're losing to try to get that, to try to either numb out from the experience of being so vulnerable because these holes make us feel vulnerable. So we have anxiety and then we're depressed. Like all so much of what is normalized as just contemporary life experience can be explained by realizing you're living in a state of soul loss. I mean, if four out of five women have been abused, that means probably four out of five women are living in a state of soul loss. I mean, it's just, it's, it's everywhere. And then unacknowledged, right? So then there's that piece too, which is this idea that somehow you should be able to do better when you're hemorrhaging energy. What's your problem? What's wrong with you? It's like, well, I've never been the same since this happened. Like that feeling of I've just never been the same. And, and the thing that happened doesn't seem like it wouldn't necessarily be labeled trauma or abuse potentially. So let's say my soul's purpose requires music. 
and I am in a school system or somewhere or a community or something where there's lots of music, people are singing. I'm really engaged. I'm loving this. I feel I'm a kid. And it's like, oh my God, everyone's speaking my language. Dad gets a new job. Mom gets a new job. Maybe parents get divorced. And suddenly I get moved to another country, another state, another something. They don't have music. Or, or maybe in the new situation, we don't have the money to afford it anymore. But all of a sudden, I'm stripped of that ability to make music and that support of people around me to make music. That kid is that part that needs music is most likely going to stay back at the old place with making music. Mm. And now this kid, the one who's actually in real time, is suffering, is depressed, is hemorrhaging energy. And all they did was move. So nobody knows what their problem is. Right. So the, the range of why we can experience, but basically any, any way that you feel, I know from my work on myself that I have more to give and I keep sort of falling in the same hole in my efforts to try to give it. Like no matter what I do, I keep doing this pattern or that pattern, no matter how much time I spend in therapy, no matter how much trauma recovery I do, I keep the same thing. I just, there's, there's just something missing. That's, that's also the key. There's just something missing because when we do get into our work and we do do self-reflection, we do start to tune in intuitively. We know something is missing and then that gets pathologized. <laughs> so it's just such a mess. Yeah. I've been feeling this, uh, feeling that something is missing, that there is something, uh, even though I look like I have it all together, mm-hmm. I was always feeling those needs, those desire for something more, something bigger. I'm not talking about materialistic things. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. And I found a psyche specialist, I remember, because I was so, I was so exhausted. I was so energy low. And in the first healing um, session, she actually told me that, Anna, I can feel that your soul has left your body. It just, it, it, it's just some way around, but it doesn't go into the body. And I was so fascinated. I said, why? She didn't know my story at those times. She said, something happened to you when you were young and just your soul felt it's not safe to be in your body anymore, which was for me was mind blowing, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I had another experience with a shaman where he was able to see uh, what was happening with my energy flow. And Christina, I'm so like, I'm so wondering, I want to ask you this question. I'm not sure if you're going to have an answer for this, <laughs> but can you see over the uh, Zoom camera if there is any attachment of my perpetrator, my childhood sexual abuser to me? And mm-hmm. if there is something I need to heal still? Um, let me just do another thing first, and then we'll come back to that, which is for people that would ask this question, right? Because a lot of people really hesitate to ask this question, but it, it, it is not an uncommon thing. If we think about us as energy bodies, right? And we think about it when we lose a part of ourselves, it creates a hole, any hole in a luminous, brilliant person such as yourself is it's an opportunity for an energy that shouldn't inv- be able to invade you to invade. And that's the other problem with soul loss is it creates um, a weakness in our energy that almost advertises like every hole is an opportunity for invasive energies to come in, whether it's a perpetrator or just some other invasive energy. And, and this can, this, can get into a really Hollywood version, sensationalized idea of this, um, which is unfortunate because many of us, because we're in a state of soul loss, do become prey 
to other energies, whether it's our perpetrator or not. And then another piece of this story is that one has to ask, why would a human being do this to a child? One has to ask that. And unfortunately, there is often an invasive energy going on there that, that, a, that a person is being driven to their worst self. Now, they could choose not to do it. So I'm not, I'm not absolving people of the fact that we all need to make choices with our own energy. And often you, as someone who's experienced abuse, would be asking this question not just because of the perpetrator as the person, but because somewhere intuitively you knew they were being ridden by an energy. And so it's, it's it gets complex, right? And that all of this, what for most of us feels pretty weird. Right? It's not what most of us talk about. But anyway, so the question, because I don't, I, I, um, I work in, in an altered state with helping spirits that are confirming what I'm seeing or feeling or sensing. And I'm not a clairvoyant. I got trained by a clairvoyant who was really amazing, but I'm not a clairvoyant. So I don't see all that well. Um, and so I would want to back up anything that I said with being able to actually do a journey, which for your listeners would be really boring because there'd be nothing to say and nothing to watch. <laughs> um, but what I trust a lot is that people don't ask questions. Well, let me say it the other way. To be able to articulate the question is, is to almost name what is going on in a sense, like that willingness to get to a place where you say, is it possible this is happening is almost to affirm it is, unless you've already had work to have that energy removed, right? And so, so there's that piece as well. But the other thing about soul parts coming back, just to add a, one more part to this whole story, is there's, there's a proprietary nature to our own body. We may not know it, but we really are the sovereign of our own body. And when soul parts come back, if there's invasive energies in, those soul parts are often like, get the hell out of my room. Like you, free, you freeloading, squatting, whatever, get the hell out of my space. And so that's another aspect is for those people that feel they're not really able to claim their sovereignty in their own life. Mm -hmm. often that's because the aspects of themselves that were really helped them to do that have been lost and need to be brought back and then reintegrated. And that's another piece because we adapt. Remember I talked about how we adapt to mm -hmm. this loss when soul parts come back now for us as contemporary people, we need to integrate them because we have to sort of unadapt. If you think about it, you know, we changed when they lost, we need to get out of those bad habits or just problematic habits and allow these energies back in, not only to claim the space, but to also, there's a quality in, in integrating a soul part that allows us to let go of stuff and let mm -hmm. go of parts of our story that are needed to be known and witnessed and told, but not again and again. And again, mm -hmm. right. And so there's a time that most of us should feel, I mean, should be able to feel is what I meant, where we realize this story telling it now just keeps me in it. It's, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've, I've owned it. I've spoken it. It's been witnessed, you know, it's done its job. Like you said, it's been the lesson that it needs to be. I need to stop telling it. I need to move on. I need to create new stories with my life. And so it also helps us be able to let go of the pieces that do need to be let go of and, and crystallize the teaching and then go forward as a living expression of the teaching, not a living expression of repeating the old story. So that's yes. Piece. Yes. So if you felt that way, that that was a possibility intuitively, especially since didn't you recently go back to court? Yes. Yeah. In, in so, September, 2021. Yeah. But still proximity is problematic, you know? And so if you're, if you're feeling it, I would, I would definitely encourage you to at least get it checked out because even if it isn't your perpetrator, it could be another energy that has a similar pattern that honestly, if, if, if there's still a part that a lot that is, um, 
like the mat, like the matching jigsaw puzzle piece for that kind of energy. If you're just walking through a busy airport somewhere and that energy is present, it can notice its matching component and connect, even if it's not your perpetrator, if it's a similar pattern. And that's the problem with this energy is it's so personal because it's our trauma. And I don't want to diminish that at all. It's also patterns, which aren't personal, right? It's just, I, I hold pattern A and it fits together with pattern B. And so whenever I'm moving through space in my life, pattern B gets attracted, whether I want it to or not. So I need to change that I have pattern A, basically. I don't want to be attracted to that anymore. So I would get it checked out. Definitely. Thanks, Christina. You know what I, I forgot to mention? That after even one session of uh, soul retrieving, I felt so much energy. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my husband noticed the change straight away, like instantly. And I, I will keep ch- checking my energy because mm-hmm. I, I did feel a little bit uh, worrying when I was going back to my hometown and mm-hmm. knowing that I have to face <laughs> my perpetrator. Uh, but it, it wasn't so such a strong feeling. So I, I was just curious to know whether the, there is still a link. But I'm just wondering whether you had an experience with clients who didn't have a, such a tremendous and positive experience with, with soul retrieval. So what would you say to those people? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it um, because I assume it's not happening in one hour, in one minute? Well, soul, soul retrieval is really interesting in the sense that if soul loss is the problem and and the practitioner connects with the energy and does a good job bringing it back. So that's a big if, but let's assume the soul retrieval is done well. It's restored to your energy body. Most people do have that experience you have because it's, it is the missing piece. And all of a sudden, right. Mm-hmm. And after about two weeks that changes, and then there's, there's more to be gained through an integration that happens over maybe the next six weeks. So it's about a two month period of continuing to work through things. Some people experience the opposite where the soul part is returned and they experience the, the problems that were going on when the soul part left immediately. And so there's an immediate return to the old problem, but it's important to realize you're not in the old problem anymore, right? I mean, it it might be something that happened when you were five, you're not five anymore. And so you really are, you have become the adult who can be what those adults weren't at the time, right? And so soul parts don't come back when people can't be what they need to be for the part that's returning, assuming it's being done in a good way, which goes back to the whole knowing when is it time to let go of things. So anyway, back to what I was saying is it is often a sudden change and then a need for this integration that follows after. Some people experience that in reverse where it's suddenly all the emotions are back that never got processed and they need to move. I just encourage people to move, to dance, make art, express those emotions and get to what's underneath it. And then it begins to be, they get a connection to the energy. Some soul parts aren't so much about energy they're about qualities that we knew we had, but we lost, you know, so the different soul parts also have different energies that they're re- retrieving. So that's, that's also a difference, but your real question is what about people that have had a soul retrieval and it didn't change anything. And I do get a lot of clients that say that uh, to me. And I, and I think, wow, I really want to appreciate your courage in trying again because the first time it didn't help. And they'll say something like, oh, yeah, well, I listened to your podcast and you talked me into it. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, what, what, what's happening is one of three things. So in the mechanics of the soul loss, soul retrieval, one of three things is happening. Which is the first thing that's happening is they are working with a practitioner who isn't actually able to do the retrieval. They shouldn't be presenting themselves as someone who's able to do it. That is always a possibility today because there are far too many people 
particularly in the United States, that are just going to do trainings and then hanging up a shingle. And there's no initiation. There's no connection to a larger cosmology that holds those teachings. None of the um, qualities of an indigenous culture that really hold that healing form in the whole system it's meant to be held in our present. It's just an individual doing a technique. And I mean, even if we look at something like massage, mm -hmm. right, I can feel the difference be some, between someone who's just doing a technique massage and someone who's allowing healing energy to move through them and really listening to my body and moving intuitively. I mean, we all know the difference. And so I'm just going to be honest. There are practitioners out there that are calling themselves shamans that just are doing a technique and they have no greater calling to the work. And traditionally, it would be a calling. You would be brought to this work because you have helping spirits that are saying, not just this is yours to do, but this is an expression of your purpose. This is a good vehicle for your purpose in this life. So learn how to do it and do it well and stop whining. <laughs> Well, mine had to say to me, it's like, stop complaining. We gave you an answer. Now deal with it. So that's a piece is you work to the practitioner who did not actually retrieve a soul part. So it's mm -hmm. not your fault that you don't feel anything different. It didn't really happen. Another thing is you are working with a practitioner who is not a shaman who is doing something they are saying mm -hmm. is like soul retrieval. And it isn't. It doesn't mean it's not a valid healing form. It's just not really bringing soul parts back because I get a lot of people that are really disappointed because their therapist told them this would be as good as like they're doing different um, like rapid eye movement, different trauma therapy things, which are valid things to do. I'm not criticizing them until the practitioner says, oh, yeah, and by the way, it'll bring your soul parts back, too. It's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> And so that's another problem is people being told they're getting a soul retrieval when they're not. Mm -hmm. All right. So with all that said, the other side of the coin is the soul part did come back and a person was really resistant to the changes they needed to make to integrate with that part. Not everybody likes their soul parts and not all soul parts like the person. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why? Well, because of the adaptations, because people are afraid of their emotions um, mm. because of the ramifications of the truth in their life. A lot of that, um, you know, there's a, particularly with people that experience a certain amount of privilege and entitlement in life, there is a certain assumption that I should be able to change and get what I want in my life without having to change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, I want change in my life. I want it all. Without doing I don't actually job. want to have to change. I don't want to have to do the work, the self-discovery and the recognition that I'm part of the problem yeah, and, and to let that go. And so, so that's another thing that can happen is that people sometimes receive soul parts back that they're really not ready to deal with the truth that returns with the soul parts. And sometimes it's that it's worse than you thought it was. Sometimes it's that it wasn't as bad as you thought it was. And that that is being like this whole story is being used as this excuse to not do X, Y, Z in life. Now the soul parts back and it's like, let's do it. And you're like, uh, wait, I just lost my excuse to not really show up in life, you know, not really risk. Right. And because because when our whole soul is here, it wants one thing other than being a good human, which is the foundation. What it wants is to do what it came here to do. And it's never been done before. So it's risky. It's always risky. It but it wants the fulfillment of the expression of this soul's purpose. You know, this unique genius that is true only in this lifetime. No do-overs. This is it or it never happens. That's what the soul wants. So if all the soul parts are back, that's a really edgy life. It's risky. You know, you don't get to sit back in your privilege and entitlement and be happy. Right. <laughs> you have to actually do the deal. It's scary. You know what? I've been avoiding looking back and facing my traumas for 20 years. And I can tell you, Christine, Christina, once I faced it, once well, after I've, I've let my soul to come back, the whole life has just started blossoming for me. Exactly. It's an unbelievable feeling. And it feels, it feels like the real happiness came 
the, mm -hmm. the happiness of just being on this planet and serve people and help people. And you know what else I've experienced? I've done so many healing <laughs> things. <laughs> I did a past life regression. I remember four hours I was under the hypnosis, or I don't know how to explain this state. Mm -hmm. And I remember just my shaman was, was taking me back into my past lives. And I remember seeing this huge black funnel And I was just falling like a leaf, slowly going mm -hmm. down, down, down. And then he, will, he would tell me, stop here, what do you see? And I said, I can't stop. And I would fall down. He, and he would ask me again, stop here. And I, again, I just, I wouldn't be able to stop. And then I literally landed on the bottom of this funnel. And I saw myself as a cave woman. Mm. I'm not making this up. It's just my, my subconscious was doing this. I wasn't controlling this process at all. And I wasn't making this up. This is for sure. And I saw my hands like so clear, clearly. And I, I realized that I'm a cave woman because my, my palms were bigger and ha much hairier. My feet were much bigger and hairier. And I was having some uh, animal, you know, uh, skin on my body. And I remember I couldn't see anyone. I ran into my cave and then I knew something is going to happen. And then I looked out and... I saw a huge pterodactyl <laughs> seeing, sitting on the tree. And at those point, I clearly remember thinking, or oh, you're going to kill me or I'm going to kill you. And I knew I have no one to help me. And I think in those life, I told myself, there is no one to help You have to do everything yourself. And I've been following this <laughs> for the whole <laughs> my life. What do you think about this? What are your thoughts about past life regression? Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, you know, time is, time is weird. I mean, I don't, we don't, we, we, our mind only works if we sort of stay in linear time. And yet much of our healing requires we leave linear time and go back in past lives and, and, back in, you know, asking someone to go get a soul part that is from a different time in this life. I mean, we have to just deal with time not always being linear. <laughs> right? And so one of the things I feel about healing is that um, whatever you need in the moment is genius when you get it. And so mm -hmm. if the issue can be resolved through a process of, um, um, reconciling some unresolved past lives, if that's what you're really stuck on and that's what's causing the repeat of the pattern, it's absolutely essential to do it. If, if something else is going on, it's not really going to help. And so that's part of the problem is people in general, I'm not saying you did this, but in general, people find the things they're comfortable doing and then they try to use those things to fix everything. Um, but when So, so one of the ways that you can feel that it's a past life issue, for example, and, and that means it's an unresolved past life, because there's a whole lot of past lives that are just the sum total of who you are in this moment and all of yes. these gifts that you came in this life with. So not every past life is an issue, but some are because they're unreconciled. They're, they're problematic in some way. And so um, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> um, Let me ask so, you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. How is our ancestors' past life, unresolved history of abuse and uh, trauma impacts our life? Yeah. But, so these are all, this is the important thing for people to understand is these are all three different things and they're all real. And so that's what I was saying is knowing, getting a good diagnosis of, about what is going on and having that happen is really valuable. Like, oh, I was going to say what, how you know if it's past life. But anyway, okay, so we're on ancestors. We can come back to past lives. So past lives are their own thing, right? They have to do with your own soul as you're moving through lifetimes so, or just conceiving of that as a, a way to think about things. 
ancestral issues are different issues because they are potentially different people. There are lots of souls involved in unresolved ancestral issues. And as much as I know some people believe in systems that we always constellate with the same, same souls over and over and over again in every lifetime, human beings are way messier than that. <laughs> I don't think it always works that way. Right. It, and the other thing that happened is people can receive a guide or a helping spirit would be what I would call it, but you know, some sort of guide or spirit help that says I'm an ancestor, but they're not from your lineage. You're like, how am I supposed to make sense out of that? You know, so that's another thing that happens. And so my sense out of that would be, it is an ancestor from a life in which you incarnated as a Chinese person or something, you know, you, you, you incarnated outside of this particular gene pool. But you would have to incarnate in different gene pools. How much would you learn stuff? Anyway, back to your aunt. So unresolved ancestral issues tend to weight those issues in our life. So they weigh more heavily on us and tend to bias our perspective about life, our perspective about ourselves and our potential. And they tend through that bias to get us to make a contemporary version of the same choices and the same pattern. So unresolved ancestral issues are extremely problematic right now. And unresolved family trauma may or may not propagate the same trauma, but it propagates problems for the living. We don't, we end up not really having kind of a clean slate to write our life on. We end up with a biased biased perspectives. Um, I do a lot of ancestral healing in addition to soul retrieval work. And then past lives do show up in all of these different things um, that I do. So these are all things that, that I work with, but what I try to train people to do as students, but then also with the small groups of people that I teach to do healing work, the way I do is diagnose what you're working on because they all feel like parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So just because mm-hmm. it's a part of ourself doesn't mean it's the same kind of part of ourselves. So there's yeah. that issue. And so really understanding what happens and with like a big, a big family pattern can create trauma that creates soul loss, but there's also the ancestral issue. And then in the midst mm-hmm. of all of that, it can create some really shadowy things that we do as well, as well as a whole bunch of personal fragmentation. So one problematic ancestral pattern can generate a whole lot of different fragmentations as we as a kid try to struggle with an issue nobody's talking about because that's the other thing I mean I'm sure you know this and anyone who's experienced trauma half the issue is you've had this experience no one will talk about (laughs) no one acknowledges it or they gaslight you and tell you something else is going on but as kids we feel this miasma of this unresolved ancestral energy and it it's it's feels attacking because what it's doing is it's looking for life force to create change it wants out it wants freedom from being stuck in what it is but it can only get that through the living and so it tends to kind of cannibalize our life not because it's evil or bad but because it wants an opportunity for somebody to make a new decision but we're so biased by it. We don't make a new decision. We make a new version of the same old decision. So it's a mess. It's really a mess right now. And, and we can see just a little timing context with the war in the Ukraine, with all of this stuff that's going on in our world right now, the United States is such a mess right now. So much of this is rooted in ancestral issues. And so I, I offer a whole arc of how to begin to deal with your ancestors from the absolute most basic, what do I do when I don't even know who my ancestors are, which is not an untypical American thing to experience, or what do I do if I don't like my relations? I don't want to have anything to do with them. That's pretty common. All the way through learning to transform those patterns I was just talking about. And then the third part of that for people that learn all those skills is how do we work together as a collective with these skills to change um, social issues, you know, systematic patterns of abuse and injustice. And and so we're just learning how to do all those things, not to totally hijack the show, but, but that is a real issue. It's a big thing. And, and they tend to get conflated because it's similar patterns, you know, so um, 
different patterns of abuse that are getting handed down through the family line than hit this generation. And some people are able to respond to it and say no, and other people in the family kind of cave into it and then become the next generation's expression of that pattern. And then the young are angry at everybody because they're handing this stuff on to them. And so we don't understand, you know, why our teenagers are so angry right now. Well, look at the world we're handing to them. There's all this baggage we're handing to them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of a mess. Yeah. This is a gold nugget, honestly, Christina, because I had a guest on my podcast, Vanessa Broyers. She mentioned that uh, our trauma takes 14 generations to, to repair and maybe it won't repair for the whole life. So I think uh, it takes like seven past life and seven new lives. What I was trying to say that don't educate your kids, educate yourself because that's, <laughs> that's what you're passing. Christina, and how do you, um, what tools do you have? What tools do you use for people mm-hmm. to help them with healing? Mm-hmm. So one of the interest is a really good question because the first thing I experienced a brand new practitioner, this is now over 30 years ago is so I'm doing soul retrieval work with people and in an extraction of those invasive energies we were talking. So I'm doing that work with people and mostly handing them back to their own support network. Cause I was working at the time with a lot of um, therapists that were interested in collaborating with their people. So they would send me people. I do one session with them and send them back and they would integrate the work with their therapist. It's a wonderful setup. What happened though, is the more people receive soul parts back and grew healthier internally they had no skills to be healthy externally. <laughs> they, you know, they didn't have any new communication skills. They didn't know how to manage their energy body and be grounded and have boundaries. You know, there was just all of this um, lack of education for how to be in the world as a healthy person. And so I started teaching classes to help people learn how to do that. And mostly I just took what I had learned and taught them how to do that. And then the other thing that was happening while this was happening, which I won't go too much into, but I was also receiving this whole system of teachings with its own cosmology. Um, And so for people that want this big overhaul answer to this whole question you're asking, they do this four-year training. But most people don't have the time to do that these days. And it's hard. (laughs) Most people don't want to. And so right here, kind of in in the belly of the beast, which is a person who has experienced trauma, is in recovery, wants some additional skills to whatever they have. So what we offer is healing services. So we offer people to do soul retrieval work, potentially to do extraction work, essentially to help you get back the energy that's yours and get it back in your energy body where it belongs and get out the energy that's not yours and put it back wherever it belongs or do whatever needs to be done with it. But the idea is to at least get you in one place where you belong. So that's the healing services that are offered. But we also have online classes and there's three arcs of online classes, but the main arc for just anybody doesn't require shamanism. The main arc for anybody is is based on those life skills classes I was talking about in the beginning, which is how do you maintain yourself so that you can be a healthy person in a world that in many environments you're in isn't healthy. In many relationships you'll be in, they're very at least dysfunctional, if not potentially abusive. How do you navigate an environment that isn't well, potentially, right? And then how do you gain the skills with others to create real connection And begin to rebuild community in your life, build family in a new way. You know, like you were saying, based on the education you've given yourself, how do you build new relationships and new community that doesn't end up just falling apart the way so much does in in our world? And so there's an arc of three, seven, seven week classes that are progressive that build from the energy body skills to that looking at those internal selves 
and understanding which are, which are those internal selves I can integrate with and which are those internal selves I need help with. Back to that diagnostic piece. Is it a soul part? Is it ancestral? Is it a shadow energy? Or can I clear this myself? Can I work on this myself? So there's that, that piece is like life skills for everybody. Um, then there's like an, another level of learning a little bit more complex, not complex, um, more strategic clearing skills. And then the next level is even more strategic. Um, but they're all built on each other. And so that just helps people. How do I live in a healthy in the world? How do I integrate these aspects of myself that come back, whether it's a soul part or, um, or I've just had a big, you know, ayahuasca experience. I don't even know what happened. How do I integrate that? So it's giving people those internal skills to do that. Um, how do I notice if there's an energy that's invasive and recognize I actually need help with this, or I can just put on the boots and kick them out. You know, like, what is it? That ability to understand, can I do this myself? Is this in my skill set? Um, let me say that a little more clearly. Can I do this myself? Because I am the sovereign in my own body. I make the rules. Nobody else gets to be here and nobody else should be here. Yes. Like every person should be able, yes. and, and I say should, um, in, in the sense of we need to give them the skills to be able to be the person in the driver's seat of their own life. And yeah, because there's so much only we can ourselves. do and we, can. we need to know when to ask for help and that being able to feel confident in that. All right, this is mine to do. I don't really want to do it, but okay, I know how to do it. Right. And then you do it. And then it's better. And then you go, you know what? This isn't mine to do. I can't do this myself. I, I need to ask for help. I need to ask for help from this kind of practitioner. Knowing that is also really helpful in our process because it's not either or, it's both. And, and then there's a lot of sort of new age, oh, you can do it all yourself. Yeah. And it's like, no, actually, that's never been the way humans were. In healthy cultures, people helped each other. <laughs> and yet- in that sovereignty place, yes, you're right. You are the only person who can do that. Bottom line is you're the one who has to say yes and no. And the problem with childhood is we're not there yet. We're kids. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So, basically, teaching people a lot of skills to do their own work and where we need help, training people to, to be available as practitioners to help people in that way. Yeah. For those who want this help, where people can find you? Okay, so my um, I can be reached at Last Mask Center, L-A-S-T-M-A-S-K, lastmaskcenter.org. And you can find online classes there. You can connect to me through that website to get sessions. You can also get referred to other people if you don't like the way to get a session with me. I have um, a short list of people that I've trained that do healing work very much like I do. Um, Let's see. Oh, and then there's also a huge archive of podcasts. I have over 500 hours of podcasts that are free for people to listen to at whyshamanismnow.com. And so sometimes you can find the answer you're looking for there. Um, it's a bit of a deep dive <laughs> into that. Uh, it's a lot of hours, right? But, um, but there's a lot of information there to support people in exactly what you're talking about. How do I understand how to do this differently in my life? Because it is mine to do, but I don't know how to do it. Right. That's what the, that podcast was mostly about. Yeah. It's an amazing podcast and there is so much value. Christina, thank you so much. Before we go, do you have any concluding thoughts? Um, first is just to thank you. Thank you for walking your path, for offering this place um, as a resource for people to do the work they need to do around their own life experience, because we humanity, that big we, we need your gifts. We need yours. We need every, the only way we're going to do this is together. And we need to yes. do it as people that have learned um, how to bring their own unique gifts out. And so I thank you for the role that you're, you're playing in helping people to do that. It's a hard way to learn to experience trauma. But if we can turn it into that gold you were talking about, turning it into that way that I still find my way to my purpose, 
to who I am and to bring my gifts to the world, then so be it, you know? Yeah. To your superpower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Christina Lee Pratt. Thank you for being here. I know it's not easy, but there is a part of you who is ready to take this journey all the way, and I can help. Reach out to me directly at Anna at AnnaMadeNova.com to get to work. You can also connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn for more healing stories and magic. This journey isn't possible to do on your own, so make sure to like, subscribe, and review the podcast so we can help more people like you. If you have someone in your life who is struggling to overcome their trauma, this is something you can give them that truly can change the course of their life forever. We'll see you next time for another episode of the World's Best Trauma Recovery Podcast. And just remember, you are able to help yourself and you can do it right now.